was the one thing I forgot to ask him. You know, it's, it's a scriptural thing to have a song before the preacher gets up to preach, for crying out loud. <laughs> I have a couple of things to say to you uh, as we get started with the study this morning. First of all, I want to express my gratitude for the opportunity that has been given me to come in here, come here along with my wife, Lori, and to be able to guide your thoughts in the study of God's Word. Um, I don't take this opportunity, nor do I take this privilege for granted, but rather in humility I am thankful for God's mercy, His provisions, and His grace that's enabled me to have the strength to be able to come here and share with you the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There has been a long time where we were not sure that I would ever have the opportunity to do this again. But uh, good doctors, good medicine, but most importantly, a good God has brought me to this place, and I do not believe that it is by accident that I've been invited to come here. This, the people here that I do know mean so very much to, to Lori and I. Larry and Debbie, we've known them, well, I won't tell you how many years, but I can tell you it's getting real close to 40. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet, teach, and study, and baptize Jim Hockett-Smith and his family and the extended family. And I've watched them grow and mature and be a stable force of committed Christians. And it is heartwarming to me. I've known Alicia since she was a little bitty girl. And I've watched her grow and mature over the years to a mature, not old, mature Christian woman and mother. I want to ask you to do a couple of things this meeting. I know you've been doing it, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Would you pray for this meeting? We're here today. This is the second service. We've only got two more services. But I'd like to ask you to pray for the success of this meeting. And specifically what I'd like you to pray for the success of this meeting is that the truth will be taught and that it will be taught in a simple and understandable way so that when each of us walks out, out that door and out into the parking lot and get in our cars and we start to drive home, we can say, man, it sure was good to be there today. I am encouraged and I'm strengthened and I want to live better and I want to be better and be the kind of person that God wants me to be. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. I'm going to ask you to pray for me that I will have the strength, the stamina, the clarity of mind to say the things that I have prepared to say in this meeting. And I have prepared. I have come, Larry asked last week, uh, I had been a little puny two weeks ago, and I'm sure he was a little antsy about all that. And 
So he texted and then he called and then he texted and I responded because I couldn't get to him sooner. We were at a doctor's appointment. And he said, I just need to know. I just need to know that you're going to be okay, that you'll be here. And I said, Larry, I am locked and loaded. And so I am locked and loaded. And the Lord has been so good. So pray for me that I'll be able to do that. And I want to just take a moment. I, I, I must. I am compelled to commend you for this beautiful facility that you're meeting in. It is so warm, so comfortable, so inviting. But I'll tell you what it shows. Having been in the church the majority of my life, I know what it has taken to get to this place, to get to this time. And I know that it takes love, commitment, toil, sacrifice, and just down to earth, hard roll up your sleeves and get after it kind of work to get her done. And you got her done. So I thank you for doing this. You have a wonderful man and his wife who are working with you. I love Larry and Debbie. And uh, I have so much appreciation and affection that uh, this hour would not be enough time for me to do that. And I won't bore you with that right now. But I will tell you this. You're fortunate. You're fortunate to have him here to guide your thoughts from week to week. Nene, it's also good to see you and your family here today. And others that I know, that I've known, that I haven't known, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you. The, the slide that was in this page that was advertised uses the expression found in Ephesians, the second chapter, but God. And that is not going to be the theme, per se, of this meeting. But let us understand that the phrase, but God, is significant. It is significant because to the left of but God in Scripture appear some of the worst atrocities, some of the worst events characterized by disobedience and rebellion, and to the left of but God there is found hopelessness. But after but God, there is found forgiveness and salvation and peace and hope and heaven. And so we need to keep that in mind. And i just read uh, just two very quick references. And like I said in the morning class, if you really want to follow a good study, look up but God. And I'll read two very quickly. Genesis 8 and 1, but God... But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. But God, Moses says, remembered. Genesis chapter 50 at the end of the great book of Genesis in verse 20 regarding Joseph. And he reveals himself to his brothers. And what an event that had to have been. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. And seen that and heard that and witnessed that. God's given us a record. And here's the passage in Genesis, the 50th chapter, and verse 20. 
as Joseph talks to his brothers who had essentially betrayed him, sold him into slavery, some wanted to kill him, threw him in a pit. Then he went through all the things he did, and he says to them, as he has forgiven them, you intended to harm me. It was your intent to do me a disservice, to do ill will to me. You wanted me out of the picture. You intended to harm me, but God intended for it intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Comma. The saving. The saving of many lives. File that away. File that away for future reference. File that away and go back to it time to time in your life. But God, rich in mercy, has made salvation possible for each and every one of us. Praise be to our God. I want to read a couple of passages now, and one of them is rather lengthy reading. The first is found in the book of Luke, the 24th chapter. And I want to begin, actually I want to begin with verse 1. I'm not going to read uh, all 53 verses, but I'm going to read uh, a good portion of lion's share. Because I would like us to, to set what is taking place in context. And I would like to get us in our minds a picture, an imagery of the scene that involved the discussion that we're going to read about and to see what prompted what happened and the end result of these events that Luke so accurately records for us in the book of Luke, the 24th chapter. And then if you want to go ahead and mark, we will then be, as the passage was read by way of introduction this morning to services, We'll be reading from Acts, the, the first chapter, and I'll read from Acts 1 to Acts 28. No, I will not. I'll read from Acts 1, beginning with verse 1, and read on down through verse 11 after a while. But let's begin reading with Luke 24, and I'm reading from the, the King James translation on this text here. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others were with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. That alone is profound. There is so much more in that just brief description. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed there about, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. That again... What that must have been like. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? These two men in white say to those at the tomb, Have you forgotten already? What Jesus told you he was going to do? You see why I urged us in the morning lesson the importance of remembering? We forget. And we need to remember and we need to work on that. 
And so they said in verse 7, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. There is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, in one verse, if you'd like to be definitive about it. And they remembered his words. You see, when they heard what they said to them, it stirred what they had heard up in their minds. I thought about the observation that was made at the table this morning about reading a passage and thinking about it. And I'll just uh, note that in passing. <laughs> I really just don't think we do that enough. I, I, I really believe that one of the reasons why David, the shepherd, who ultimately became the second king of the nation of Israel, who was described in the text, in Scripture, as a man after God's own heart. I believe he arrived at that place in life by spending time alone in the fields with his father's sheep, looking up into the heavens and seeing the stars and the moon and observing the world around him. And he recognized there was a great creator behind all this. And he grew closer and closer to the Lord. Well, i got to keep moving. I'm only going to preach two hours this morning, so if you're keeping time, just uh, mark that time right now. And returned from the sepulcher and told, and they remembered his words, and they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Can you imagine listening into that conversation? You are not going to believe what, what we've just seen. You're not going to believe what we've just heard. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. See, they had forgotten. They forgot to remember. But now, listen to what happens. Then arose Peter. And ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, Peter heard all he needed to hear. And he booked it to the sepulcher, just as fast as his feet and legs would carry him. He ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Peter is an interesting character for a number of reasons. But oh, what must have gone through his mind at that moment. Don't think he didn't also think about what he had done. He could remember, perhaps, certainly, what he, what he heard, what he saw, what he experienced. But he could also remember what he did. But let's move on. And, and this is really our, our area we want to focus. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, a small village some seven miles or so, give or take a little bit, from Jerusalem, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Oh, I'd like to have heard that conversation too, wouldn't you? And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. Now here they are 
walking along and they're discussing these things. And they're rehashing what's just happened and what they had remembered now of things that had happened in the past. I got a lot to talk about. And it's an amazing conversation that's taking place. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. They didn't recognize him. Now remember, his image has changed. It's been, it's been transformed. It's been glorified. Jesus has the ability to pass through walls, to just disappear. I don't know all about all that. I just know the Bible says that's what he did when he appeared and when he showed, and I believe that. And so he says, he says unto them, verse 17, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Okay. Now remember, Jesus knew he could see in the hearts of men. Okay. He knew exactly what they were talking about and he knew exactly why they were talking about it. And he saw that they were sad. And so he asked this question. Now here's someone that, uh, that's there all of a sudden. And what manner of communication are these things? What, what, what's this you're talking about? Now listen. And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him. <laughs> this is almost kiddingly. You like disbelief. Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Have you not heard what's been going on? Do you not realize all the things that have taken place? Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, came to Jerusalem to observe the feast of the Passover. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. Judas is carried. He was arrested. He was abandoned by his disciples. He was even denied by the apostle Peter. He was tried before the Sanhedrin. He was condemned by Pilate to death by crucifixion. He died a horrible, terrible death on the cross on Golgotha's hill. He had risen from the dead. Yes, he had risen from the dead. Satan could not hold him. Satan has limited power, ladies and gentlemen. But do not underestimate the limited power. Because he is effective. And he is persistent. And he knows more than we think he does. How about every one of us? Side note there. He had appeared in Jerusalem along this road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. In fact, after that, by the time the, the two men walking on the road to Emmaus get to the apostles to talk about what's happened, Jesus is there again. <laughs> Can you imagine what they must have thought about that? Well, is there some shortcut here? How did he get here faster than we did? We probably walked pretty fast because we had some good news. To tell. If you have good news, are you just going to walk along kind of slow? Well, we'll get there eventually. No, I'll tell you what you do. Let's get there as quick as we can. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's why I got to Kansas City just as quick as I can. I got good news to share with you. And it's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look at, look at what's go, what happens then. And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these days were done. He, he came and he promised and he said and he was going to do and he did all these things. But now he's dead. That's why they're sad. They think it's lost. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart, he was not demeaning them. He was letting them know that they didn't have the degree of faith and the level of faith they needed to have. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I've known people who are slow of heart. And it's not because of lack of evidence. They're slow of heart. Because it's a lack of interest. Don't be one of those. Don't be slow of interest. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And, then, and this is always so refreshing to me. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. L ladies and gentlemen, I've taught a lot of Bible classes, and I've been in a lot of Bible classes. But i got to believe that's the best Bible class that's ever taken place. Because right there and then, he starts with Moses. He goes all the way back. And he brings them up through time, through the God's timeline, and through all the pieces of the puzzle that make the big picture complete. And he, and he brings them up and says... This was all what God the Father intended to do since the beginning of time. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not an afterthought. God planned this. And here it is. And oh, what an occasion that must have been for them to be enlightened in that, in that way. But let's go on a little further. And they draw nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. It came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Now here it is, listen, verse 32 
And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures? I know there are very intelligent people here this morning. John, am I correct? It's John, CPA, correct? I know about you already, see? Intelligence is a wonderful thing. It's God-given. Every talent, everything you have is a gift from God. Okay? And let me tell you something. The greatest knowledge you can ever acquire in this world is the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the fact that he came and died and was buried and raised and ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And he did all of that for you and for me. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right or wrong? Are you listening? Please think about it. What a wonderful, wonderful occasion this had to have been. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and of how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. How did they react? They were terrified, affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he says unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. See the nail holes. Rub your fingers over. Feel the wound in my side from the sword. really happened I am the Messiah I am Jesus Christ I am the Son of God profound profound thoughts and when he had thus spoken he showed them his hands and his feet and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a, of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he saith unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Ladies and gentlemen, i tell you one thing to take away from this lesson this morning, and you're going to hear it throughout this, these exercises, these studies. Don't let anybody tell you that a study of the Old Testament is not important. Don't, anybody, don't let anybody tell you it's not significant. We need to understand that it's through an understanding of the old that we appreciate The more you'll dig into the old, 
Lord, you will see that is so. And you will be overwhelmed, as we talked about in our morning in our Bible class, with the goodness and the greatness in the mind of God. Very simply. More I could say about that, but let's make a couple of comments about that text before we move over to Luke's account of uh, when he goes up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Uh, can you imagine uh, what it must have been like to have those scriptures opened and explained in a way that you couldn't miss the, under, the, the interpretation of those scriptures? And think about You think about the depth of that. Now they, they say our hearts have burned, our hearts burned within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. You know what? There's a, we, have a, we have a saying sometimes we use in our culture, in our society. They wanted more. Did you ever go to a, did you ever go to a, a concert? Now, I, let me qualify that. I mean, a, a really good concert, like, hey, I'm going to date myself here, like Neil Diamond. Now, you young folks don't know who Neil, Di Neil, who Neil Diamond was. But us older folks know who Neil Diamond was. Now, you may be an older folk and you didn't care for Neil Diamond, but I really like Neil Diamond. And the thing about a Neil Diamond concert was when he finished, you weren't ready for it to be finished. You know why? Because he kept singing those songs and he kept performing and he kept entertaining and he kept you interested because he was doing what you came to hear him do. These two men said, our hearts burned within us we want more of what you're sharing with us from God's book. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every time God's people got together, our hearts burned within us? I want more. No, you got to temper that. Tell Larry, we want more, but now don't, don't go overboard with this, okay? <laughs> so there is a time frame, and, and we can only endure so much before we got to get up and move around, okay? So we understand that. But these disciples were about to see when he tells them in verse 44. They were about to see unveiled before their eyes what the events of history had been pointing to, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the church through the simple, plain, and pointed preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You did not come here this morning to hear me talk about the weather. You didn't come here this morning to hear me talk about politics, although I referenced it this morning. You came here to hear God's message, the truth from God's word. And I hope and pray that when we leave here this morning, your heart's going to be burning within you and you're going to say, I want more, and not be saying, why did we bring this guy here? Don't, I don't want you saying that. It's a great thing to study God's word. And they couldn't wait to tell the apostles. So they saw all of this. And it's like it's said of Jeremiah. I don't know. I'm sure Larry's preached on this time or two in Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah talks about as he's mistreated by the very people he's been designated by God to preach to. And he knows they're not going to like what he has to say. And God told him they're not going to like what he has to say. But I want you to say it anyway. And he says, once he 
thought about just getting away from all that. And he said there was a fire that was burning in his bones. Have you ever had that kind of feeling? Pause a minute. Put it on hold for a second. You ever had that? Fire in your bones? first real fire in the bones that I ever had was when I met my wife. When I saw her up on stage performing with the chorus, I didn't know her from anybody else on that campus. But I told the man who had made it, helped make it possible for me to go to college, provided a, an old vehicle, 59 Volkswagen, to, to drive down there, with, that had no heat or air, by the way. And I saw her up there, and I leaned over to him, and I said, see the one, that short girl over there that's just a few ways from the end? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to marry her. He said, well, who is she? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going to marry her. And, and I told her shortly after we got talking. I said, you don't know this, but you're going to marry me. I didn't go there looking for a wife. I was, going to be a, I was going to be a CPA. And when I was 29 years old, my goal was to be a CPA, live in a condominium, drive a Corvette. And when I was 29, I was married, had three kids. I was preaching, and I was driving a Pinto station wagon. Now, that was the way life can turn around on you. Okay? That's when the fire first burned. And then the fire burned began to light and burn in me that I was not going to be able to be a CPA. I needed to preach the gospel. And the fire was lit. Jeremiah had that fire and so did these men. What was it that stoked the fire in their hearts? It is this, the same knowledge that can light the fire in our own bones the same knowledge that can light the, the same fire in our hearts, the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They put him to death on that cross. They buried him in that tomb. But by God's power, he was raised from the dead. That is so important for us. When these two disciples saw and understood that, they were filled with, guess what? Joy. Joy. You know, there's so many people living in our world and time right now who really have no purpose for their lives. No, no meaning to their lives. And, and I'm not demeaning that. I'm saying, you know, they, they go to work, work all day or work all night, whatever, they shift work. They come home. They have kids, they may go to athletic things, they may watch movies, they watch TV, they go to bed, they get up next morning and do the same thing. And life is just that. But to the child of God, every day is a new day to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bear fruit in the kingdom of God. Every So I ask you a question, right or wrong. You don't have to answer it out loud. You don't even have to nod. If you nod, I already know. <laughs> I can tell by your eyes. 
case you hadn't noticed, I watch everybody. Nobody. I, I came up here Friday. They showed us around. I came up here and looked around, and then I went and sat in the back. Now, why did I do that? Because I was looking for hiding places. <laughs> See, there are no hiding places here. And I'll warn you, years ago, I used chalkboard, and I used railroad chalk. And I used to pitch. I pitched all the way in high school. I was a pretty good pitcher. I could throw a fastball, curveball, changeup, and I threatened people years ago when we had chalkboard that I if you nodded off in services, don't be surprised if you don't hear something humming by your head. <laughs> now I never did really throw it, but I, I acted like I was. So it's important that we understand all of this. They went and told the apostles shared the good news, and the result. Verses 52 and 53, and then we'll move over to Acts chapter 1. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen, it says. They found out, they realized, not all of it, but they knew enough to know that what they had was something to be happy about and joyful. About. I believe with all of my heart that one of the purposes for Luke's writing the book of Acts was to show us who have the benefit of this preserved, revealed will of God, the power that is in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it describes the establishment of the church. Yes, it describes the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Yes, it describes the hardships and the good things, but it also shows the bad things. But it shows through us from Acts, the second chapter, on to the end of the book, the power that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I ask you another question? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have in this book is the power of God unto salvation? Do you believe that? Has it lost any of its power? Has it been diminished? If you'd said to, your, in your, to yourself just now, I believe, then you've renewed a commitment to God. And you know what the Lord says about that? Defer not. About, pay it. Keep what you just said you do, what you believe. You can't give away what you do not have. If we have doubts about this, if we don't really believe this, if we don't think it's all that important, if it's eh, take it or leave it, then our lives will reflect that. And it'll cost us our soul. Bottom line. Well, now go over to Acts chapter 1. Well, there's a lot more we could say about, and I'd like to say, but time does not permit one study. I want to look at Acts chapter 1, and we'll just read a short reading here, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 11. And I'll, now I'm going to be reading this time from the New King James Translation. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, 
to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Unmistakable evidence was shown and was demonstrated by Jesus to his apostles. He appeared to them some ten times on different occasions, different settings, but teaching and encouraging and strengthening them in their faith. And being assembled, verse 4, together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, John 14, 15, and 16, if you want to look at a little reference where John records all that. For John truly baptized with water, but, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still did not understand the spiritual nature of the kingdom. After all that, they still were not, they didn't have that settled in their minds. They're thinking he has come like the rest of the Jewish population for the most part, that he's going to come and restore the king of the nation of Israel. And they're going to take charge again and they're going to be in control. Not so. Not so. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Well, there's a sobering thought. Did you ever, did you ever try and improve on God's timeline? Did you ever try and make things happen a little faster than they're supposed to happen? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. God has his, his timeline. He has his will. He has his plans. And all the forces of evil combined cannot stop it from coming to, coming to pass. Not at all. But let's go a little bit further. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Can you imagine how they must have felt when Jesus says to them, I'm going to entrust into your hands the saving power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to have it. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You've watched him disappear. He has given you your marching orders. You go back to Jerusalem and you wait until the time God says is the time. And then you be about your father's business. And just as you've seen him leave, He is not coming back again. 
establish a kingdom on earth. He's coming back to judge the world. May I ask a question? Thank you. I believe I will. Are you ready for that day? Lord comes back. Are you ready? When I was six, seven, eight years old, I grew up in Oklahoma City and we had dust storms. Sky would get red and blue and black from the west and, and it'd be rolling in, churning. And I didn't understand at that age what a dust storm really was. And my cousin, who was three years older, was kind of my mentor, and that was good and that was bad. He said, Billy, the Lord's coming. I said, what? He said, the Lord's coming. That's the Lord coming. I ran inside. I ran straight to the kitchen where Mother was fixing supper, and I climbed under the booth, and I hunkered down under the booth. And she said, Billy, what is wrong with you? And I said, Mother, the Lord's coming. And she said, well, yeah, but how do you know he's coming right now? I said, look outside. And she said, that's just a dust storm, Billy. I could have, I could have. Well, I'd like to have gotten even with my cousin, but he was bigger and faster and stronger, so I didn't. Never got to pay him back for that little jewel. Let me tell you, we can talk about that, but there is a day. I don't know when it is. The Lord himself doesn't know. But he's coming. And it's my responsibility to be ready. And it is your responsibility to be ready. So as we talk about this ending that led to a beginning in Acts chapter 1, what, brought, what was it that brought such a significant change in the hearts and lives uh, of these people? It was the resurrection of their leader, their master, their Lord, their Savior. For 40 days, not only convincingly demonstrating that he was alive, he took time to concentrate on his teaching of the kingdom, to strengthen their faith. He gave them many infallible proofs, evidences of, of what he was saying, what he was teaching, and what it was all about. It took time for all of that to be understood, to understand that he was not talking of a physical kingdom. He was talking of a spiritual kingdom. This building is just that. It is a building. God's people, we're the church. And as God's people, we have the awesome privilege and responsibility to live like our Savior every single day. No vacation, no furlough, no time off, every single day. It is in this historically correct and accurate account of how the early church came into existence that men are going to have to turn. Let me, let me ask this question. Someone might say, well, Bill, that's all well and good, but how do I, how do I really know what you just said is true? How, how do I really know that? How do I know that some men just didn't get down and sit down together and pool their resources and just come up with all this? Maybe some of it's true, but how do I know all of it's true? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe there was a World War I? believe there's World War II? 
Now I'm old, but I'm not that old. I didn't live during World War II. But I've seen the pictures. I've read the accounts. I've talked to those who were in World War II. You see, it's a testimony. Accurate testimony. And that's what we have when we look into God's Word. Luke chronicled the events of Christ's life in a way in the book of Luke and chronicled the events of the effects and the power and the far-reaching uh, effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world and he chronicled it in a way that was historically accurate that was on point that could be verified that was so and it is ours to accept that testimony. I don't believe that God ever intended for us to argue. You can't argue with God and win. You can't. And it is not mine to question or to say, well, why did God do this? Why didn't he do this? That's not my prerogative. I'm the creature. He's the creator. And I have the responsibility to listen to and carry out what he says to do. Acts is a fact just as the other 65 books that comprise the 66 books of the Bible. And not any of it is fiction. None of it is a myth. It is not inaccurate. It can't be a mixture of a little fiction and a lot of truth. Because then if it is a mixture of a little fiction and a lot of truth. How do you know what is the fiction part? And how do you know what is the truth part? That's going to depend then upon the one who's deciding arbitrarily what is myth and what is truth. So, Acts is in the context of history, time, places, names, events, written so they can be checked out, so they can be documented, so they can be verified. All the writers of the Bible spoke and wrote as they were moved by the Spirit. I want to turn very quickly uh, to a very important passage of Scripture recorded in the book of 2 Peter, the first chapter. And I'd I really like for you, to, if you have your Bible handy, I'd like for you to turn to this passage and follow along with me in the, in the reading. Because it, that's how important I believe this, this is. In 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased." And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this, first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It is, uh, that's at the end, that moved 
by the Holy Ghost is terminology that is nautical terminology, and it is one that the people back then would have really understood who were involved in the fishing industry and the commercial industry. They had to set their sails, and the wind would bore, bear them along and push them along. And Peter is saying that these men, what he's writing and the other writers, what they have written and recorded and what is now preserved for us did not come from some man's head that he, can, he concocted or came up with. It is something that came from God, was revealed through that writer, has been penned and is now preserved and to is be respected. People are not doing that today, are they? They're not. But God's people can and should and must. The ascension of Jesus abruptly closes the final chapter of Luke's gospel. It opens the first chapter of the book of Acts. And we need to understand that the establishment of the Lord's church, the body of Christ, is not to be found in oratories or fancy speeches or entertainment or diatribe. What we need to understand is that the establishment of the church is going to be based not on changing the economy, not on preserving climate. What it is is the changing of people and the changing of hearts by the pure, unmixed, and simple teaching of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. That is your charge and that is mine. And that is our duty. So much more I could say. I didn't even pay attention to what time I started. I'm not really going to pay attention to what time I'm finishing. But if you're one of those who's sitting there and you're tapping your watch to see if it's working, shame on you. Besides that, you know there's a clock back on the wall. Do you know I preached one time before I close? A little sign underneath that. Remember Lot's wife. I was there for a whole week. I never saw one person turn around and look at that clock. I kept thinking, man, I've never seen a pillar of salt. I'm going to see a pillar of salt. So listen, and you've paid very atten good attention. Thank you so much. Let me close by just saying this. In the church of the New Testament, in the body of Christ, we believe there was a Nazarene named Jesus who was crucified on the Roman cross. Buried in a new tomb with a stone rolled into place at the door. You could rub your hand over the stone. It was real. You could rub your hand and fingers over the, the wood of the cross. Maybe even receive a splinter or two. Because it was real. If these things did not happen, then remission of sins is nonsense. And we're wasting our time. Luke said, I'm going to write to you, Theophilus, in the most precise manner possible so you will know these things. Listen to me as I close. Christianity. Christianity, the religion of Christ, is not just some in the case of emergency thing. That's 
That's why some people are not committed, why they're not faithful, why they will not give up sin, why they will not study their Bibles. In the back of their minds, they have just placed the historical certainty of the resurrection as something else that you may or may not believe. Today, our world needs to see the church of our Lord wake up and become convicted and lay our lives on the line for the cause of Christ. You have, it is obvious to me that you brethren here are doing what you need to do to help establish a congregation in this community where it needed to be established. And I will say to you in, in closing, you know, we don't need to ever get caught up in numbers. What we need to get caught up in is the value of just one Savior. What does a man accomplish? He should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. What does a man give in exchange for his soul? Do what you need to do.